Thank the praise and worship team for ministering, amen, with, with excellence. And most importantly, as they are led by the Spirit of God. In Mark chapter 6, I want you to join with me as we turn our attention to verse 1. Then he went out from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Josie, Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled that you would stop by here. Father, we are not worthy, and yet, through your Son, we have access to you. And Lord, we shall never forget the day when Christ became our Lord and our Savior. And because of who he is in us, through you, we are committed to letting this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus. Father, may we be like him in all that we think, all that we do. May you continue to increase as we decrease. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus and the church said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. As I uh, prepared uh, today's message and I thought about some of you on Thursday uh, who had to go out in the weather uh, like our company. Our companies, uh, we were open for business. Uh, people did not uh, decide not to die on that day. And uh, so I've shared with you some time, and I would ask you to continue to pray for me. Um, I've been doing hospice for 13 years, but there are days when the people that I have an opportunity to minister to, you either know them, they're close to your age, or something about the family and their need really touches you, and it's extremely draining. And that was the kind of day I had Thursday and also on Friday. So I would ask that you continue to pray for me. So, I've been thinking about this message since last Saturday when 
a brother Brian, our multimedia uh, wizard and servant extraordinary. We appreciate brother Brian. Amen? And all of those who assist him. Uh, he said something and it just rested in my spirit. And uh, it caused me uh, to develop a message around the topic, which is cons consistent with the, the subject that the Lord has led me to preach on. And uh, we'll finish off uh, this month with sermons about uh, the title. I became fascinated by the life stories of many of the rich and famous people that we admire. What grabbed my attention was how each of them individually could just have easily become total failures. If they had not responded well to, the one, to one of the most deadly weapons in the hand of Satan, it is stronger than arsenic. It is almost actually in a spiritual sense, it's more powerful than a nuclear weapon, and it's called rejection. Rejection. And I have a heavy heart about it because I know what it's like to be robbed of your energy and your confidence and your sense of direction because of the spirit of rejection. And so I have a particular soft spot in my heart for people who you know should be flourishing, but because they have listened to the voice of rejection, they are hesitant, they lack confidence, they won't even try things that would cause them to be in a position where people can reject them. Now each of the people that I'm going to be sharing about were treated like they were not good enough. Decision makers that had the power to hire and fire did not get these individuals that have now become household names around the world. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, was once fired by the company he started. He was devastated and humiliated by the rejection of a board of directors who had become more powerful than the company, the person who started the company. His co-founders uh, of the company uh, let him go and he didn't know really what he was going to do, and he and a friend co-founded a new company called Next. Ten years later, Steve Jobs, Next was purchased by Apple, and then Apple was later purchased by Steve Jobs, and we all know the end of the story that Apple is probably one of the most uh, prosperous and successful uh, corporations and conglomerates in the entire world, but Steve Jobs was rejected by the very company he started. Walt Disney worked as a newspaper editor for Can a Can the Kansas City Star. 
He was fired by the lead editor. According to him, Disney lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Walt Disney relocated to California, and he and his brother started a small company we now call Disney. Mark Cuban lost his job as a computer, at a computer store where he was a salesman. Uh, he was fired because he was late opening up the store one morning. Shortly after his termination, uh, Cuban started his first company called Micro Solutions. Since then, he has made over $2.5 billion. They didn't get Mark Cuban, and so he was let go. But instead of allowing rejection to destroy him, he used it as a launching pad. J.K. Rowling worked as a secretary for the London Amnesty International Company. But she dreamed of writing. She would secretly write stories on her computer and daydream while she was at work about a teenage wizard named Harry Potter. Her employer finally got sick and tired of her, and she got the boot. Today, J.K. Rawlings is, the multi, is a multi-billionaire author of the most successful book series of all times, the Harry Potter novel series. Oprah Winfrey was told by a Baltimore TV producer that she was unfit for television. She talked too much. <laughs> he pulled her off the air. As a consolation, he offered her a role on, daytime on a daytime TV show which was considered then a demotion and a career killer. She hosted a daytime show called People Are Talking, which later became the Oprah Winfrey show. They didn't get her. Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team for reasons you would be surprised to learn. He was too short. He was only five foot 10 inches tall in high school, and so his coach selected his best friend, who was six foot eight. Instead of being chosen first in the draft, Michael Jordan was chosen third, again because of his height. Sam Bowie was chosen by the Portland Trailblazers, who was seven foot one, and Akeem Olajuwon was chosen as the first pick in that draft because he was a seven-footer. And so if you want to start a team, according to the way basketball was played when Michael Jordan was drafted, you wanted a big man. And so he was not chosen. And of course, we know the end of that story. I, I didn't realize this, that Michael Jordan's desire, once he was drafted, he wanted to be the face of Adidas. And they said, well, thanks, but no thanks. We're looking for a big man to represent a big company. And so instead of choosing Michael Jordan to be the face of Adidas, they chose Hakeem Olajuwon. And now we know that the most popular and famous face of, uh, associated with Nike, almost synonymously to the name, is none other than Michael Jordan.
Adidas didn't get him. His coach in high school did not get Michael Jordan. And the Portland Trailblazers to this day regret <laughs> that they did not select arguably the greatest player who ever laced up a pair of sneakers to play basketball. This is just a small sample of people that found themselves on the outside looking in. Have you ever been on the outside looking in? Those on the inside, for one reason or another, didn't get these individuals that I mentioned. They decided to exclude them. They deemed them unqualified. Sometimes people you want to want you, don't want you. Sometimes your best is not good enough. They like vanilla, but you like chocolate. Even if you tried vanilla, you still get treated like you are an evil chocolate eater. <laughs> you don't get invited. You're not included in the text messages. You never get likes from the people you want to like you on your Facebook page. <laughs> the truth be told, it hurts. It's devastating. One of the places that you ought to be able to come and not feel rejected should be in the house of God. And I get it, some people aren't comfortable standing up front and uh, we have introverts and extroverts, et cetera. But if God tells you to do something, you should never choose to refrain from doing it because you fear being rejected. One of the things that I've observed about the praise and worship team is I've watched them transform from shy and bashful if they could hide behind the mics, they would disappear. Uh, that's not the way they are anymore. And so I'm, I'm grateful, and I believe that one of the things God has called me to do as part of the vision is to help people to reach their full potential in Christ. And the way that will happen is that you feel the most important need that we have is that we all need to feel accepted. We need to feel accepted. As you consider what God has in store for you in 2018, I want to remind you this, that the most misunderstood, mis mistreated, and disrespected person who ever walked the face of the earth ain't you. His name is Jesus. Although he, according to the word of God in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Although he is the image, the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, not only do all things consist, but they are sustained by the might of his hand. The whole hand, the whole world is in the hand of the Lord. And yet he came unto his own, and they knew him not. The world was made by him, but the world did not receive him. 
Jesus was acquainted with rejection. They didn't get him. Jesus, we're told in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, the key pat verse in the passage that we're going to be looking at is, is, is we read these words, is this not the carpenter? Is this not the boy from North Philly? Is this not the girl from the family that this or that? The son of Mary and, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And at the end of the verse it says, and I want you to underline this part of the passage, it says, so they were offended at him. They were scandalized by Jesus having the audacity to think that he had anything worthy of offering them. Jesus was a stumbling block to those who he knew and thought they knew him best. He was a stumbling block. But the Bible says that the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. Have ever, has anyone ever felt rejected? Have you ever felt left out? Have you ever felt overlooked? Have you done the best for your hair and it still just doesn't look like whatever you think others would say it should look like? Have you just looked in the mirror and what you saw didn't match what you think would cause you to be accepted by others? If you've experienced that or haven't, just keep living and you will. What they thought they knew about Jesus closed their minds to ever truly knowing him. Sometimes what you think you know about a person can prevent you from ever really knowing them. We judge people all the time. People walk in the room and we, ladies are better at it than men. In five seconds they know your cologne, they know your color, uh, they, they know if it's dyed or if it's, you know, they know the whole nine yards. But we too often are guilty of judging a book. And we even say this, you don't get a second chance to make the first impression. But I want you to know the first impression, somebody said love at first sight, love at first sight is blind. That we don't have the tools that it takes to judge a person's heart, to judge a person's character, or to base who they are based on their competency, where they work and those kinds of things. So, but let's jump in this. I want to share three things. Why Jesus was rejected. What makes rejection so, so dangerous? And then finally, I want to talk about how do you respond when you're facing rejection? Now, the first reason I want to share with you why Jesus was rejected and why people don't get you or give you a chance to be who you are in Christ is this. First of all, people ignore and minimize what God is doing in and through you. People sometimes, if, if they reject you, don't give you a chance, you become a stumbling block to them. You're an obstacle. They can't see past whatever that vanilla ice cream versus chocolate ice cream kind of thing. It will blind them to what God is doing in and through your life. When we go back to chapter 4 in the book of Mark, 
Jesus has done some amazing things. He gets on the ship. He tells his disciples, we are going to the other side, starting in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through verse 41. He said, we're going to the other side. He had ministered all day. He had been in the, uh, he actually uh, had, had prayed on the hillside, got up early in the morning after being up all night, uh, healing people and so forth. And so he went, he prayed, and then he told the disciples, uh, basically, I'm going down to the hall of the ship. I'm going to sleep, but we'll get to the other side. During the time Jesus is sleeping, there's a storm. And the storm is so bad that the trained fishermen, Jesus' disciples, begin to panic. And they don't know what to do. They've thrown everything overboard that they know that's overboard. And finally, they go downstairs to where Jesus is. And they don't say, Lord, Lord, would you help us? They say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, mind you that Jesus had recently fed 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus had done all these incredible things. But the first thing that they didn't get, Jesus, do you care? Do you really love us? How can this be happening? Why are we struggling? Don't you care? Jesus wiped the sleep from his eyes, and you know what he did. He simply says, peace be still, and the storms were calm, the waves were settled, and so forth. But what caught my attention was, Jesus said, you still don't believe. They didn't get him. They, they were right with the Lord. And they, they, they accused Jesus of not caring. Doesn't it break your heart when the people that should know you the most challenge your love for them? Later on, Jesus gets off of the ship, and the only and whatever whenever you read about Jesus traveling, once his reputation was known, uh, he never invited people for faith healing or we're going to do miracles today. Whenever he showed up, the crowds knew where he was. They followed him. And so the question is, you know, you know, Jesus could never be hidden. And so he steps off the ship in a city called Gennesaret. And unlike other places, the whole city doesn't meet Jesus when he comes off the boat. There's one dude. And he comes running towards Jesus from the graveyard because this guy lives inside of an open tomb. This guy has supernatural strength. He breaks chains. He throws himself in the fire. He is so physically strong that all of the men in the city could not contain him. All of the chains, the best uh, security systems they had could not. And I could see this man. He was butt naked. He was a madman. This was one of those Ghostbuster things. He totally dominated the entire city of Gennesaret. They were afraid of him. That's why he was the only one that met Jesus. And when he came, he fell on his face. And Jesus asked the man, when the man said, we know, I know who you are. And he says, well, who are you? And the man said, I am, the, 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 the voice speaking through the man said, I am legion, for we are many. And the legion in an army, in a Roman army, was 3,000 to 6,000 men. So in one man, that's why he had the supernatural strength. That's why he was able to live in the, out, in the elements butt naked in the cemetery because he had over at least 3,000 demons living in him. And so Jesus commanded the demons to come out. And the demons, though many, they had to obey. 
and the man was delivered. And the next thing you know, he's clothed in his right mind. He's worshiping the Lord. And when the people in the city found out that the Ghostbuster, that this dude had been terrorizing their town, this dude that made them put extra locks on their door, when they found out he was delivered, they wanted to know who did this. You know, they want to join the church. They want to get saved. When they found out that Jesus did it, they said, would you please leave our city? They asked Jesus to leave. <laughs> they were okay with the, 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 the Gadarean demonic, but they, did, they didn't get Jesus. He delivered the men from what they had no power to deliver. They were more afraid of Jesus than they were of Satan. Sometimes people don't get you. Jesus is ministering. He's leaving the city of Gennesaret. And uh, he's surrounded by a crowd. And someone approaches Jesus. This is a man named Jairus. He's a leader of the synagogue. And he says, Jesus, my child, she's dying. She's in critical condition. She's on life support. And the doctors can't help her. The medications can't help her. There's nothing that anyone could do. Jesus, would you come to my house and heal my daughter? Would you please come? And so Jesus agrees to come. How many of you know it's good to ask Jesus to come when you got a time, when you're in a time of trouble? So Jesus is making his way to the Jairus' house to deal with his daughter's sickness. And as he's going, he's interrupted. I'm so glad that what we call interruption, God calls opportunities. There's a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 long years. She's been hemorrhaging, and she had spent all of her money. All of her medical insurance had been exhausted. There was nothing more to do. And instead of getting better with her treatment, she continued to get worse. And somebody said, Jesus is in town. And so she pressed her way through the throng, pressed her way through the multitude. She made a point. She couldn't have a private session. She just said, if I could just get to touch the hem, the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. And she got to the hem of his garment. She wasn't too proud. She touched the hem. She grabbed the hem. Sometimes the healing that the Lord wants to give us is being delayed because we're not desperate enough. We're not willing to do whatever it takes to get into his presence. And when she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible says that she was healed. But something else happened. The Bible says that virtue left Jesus. Power left Jesus. And then he asked his brilliant disciples. Who touched me? And they, when you read this, this blows your mind. They rebuked him. How in the world can we know who? All these people surrounding you. Jesus was asking them a spiritual question. And they were only able in their carnality to respond through their senses. You see, the touch of faith always gets Jesus' attention. Jesus said, yeah, a lot of people have touched me, but only one has touched me through faith. And then the woman, seeing Jesus continuing to look, she said, I, I touched you. The disciples with Jesus for three and a half years, they didn't get him. They didn't. Peter was still carrying. He was still packing a, a switchblade. He cut a man's ear off. They didn't get Jesus. Even after the resurrection in, in Matthew chapter 28, the Bible says right there where he took, gives the Great Commission, some still didn't believe. 
Can you imagine? So why are you confused when people don't get you? Jesus gets to Jairus as he's making his way to Jairus's now. I'm so glad he had time for the woman who had the issue of blood. I'm so glad he had time for me. <laughs> but he, but he, he still is on assignment. I, I, I know the, the, the disciples had an agenda. That's why the Bible says he didn't take them all with him. He took Peter, James, and John. I don't know if I would have made that special group. I wish I would, you know, if I was back then, there were 12 disciples, but he only took three. And so he gets to Jairus' daughter's house, Tabitha. And they're crying and they're screaming and they're acting a fool. And Jesus says, what's all this commotion? It said, the, the child is dead. He said, no, she's not. And the scripture says they ridiculed him. They, la they didn't get him. And so he put all of the ridiculers, the laughers, the teasers, the, the, the taunters, he put them out. He took Peter, James, and John into the room with the parents and he called forth Tab Tabitha and she came back to life. I want you to understand God can be working in and through you to do great things and people don't understand that it's God working through you. They, can, they will ignore it and when they don't see that it's God because all they can see is you. And sometimes we, and I'm jumping ahead of myself but I'm coming back to it again, that God doesn't just work through the pastor or through some special leaders in the church, you have the same Holy Spirit. Our roles are different. But when you are controlled by the Spirit of God, what he did through Jesus, he can do through, because you have the resurrection power living. Somebody say amen. amen. People will also reject you, not because they ignore and minimize what God is doing through you, because it ain't them. They will, they will reject you because of your past. I always didn't understand why Pastor Richardson would actually have lessons on how to give a testimony. I didn't understand, why would this guy be telling somebody, I know now. <laughs> you don't know what's going to come out of people's mouths. You have no idea. So we're going we're gonna to help everybody out. We're going to write out what a testimony should be. But there's some things about your past are not for everybody's ears. Amen. Some things you should not say in a public setting. But notice how they rejected Jesus because of his past. Said, is this not the son of Mary? Whenever a son or a daughter was referred to as their mother's child. It wasn't a compliment. It was an insult. It was a statement of those who are making it of illegitimacy. Jesus is an illegitimate child. They were saying, your mama cheated on your husband. And you were born out of adultery. Because you remember the story that Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit before her relationship with her husband, Joseph, was physically consummated. 
And so the people in Nazareth where Jesus was, they knew the story. They said, isn't this the dude? Isn't this the one who was born out of wedlock? I know they talking about God and the Holy Spirit. And I'm saved and sanctified. There ain't no Holy Ghost got nothing to do with this. We don't know who his real daddy is. And here he is up here in church. Calling himself a preacher, calling himself a pastor, talking about uh, let it rain and let the Lord spare. Well, who in the, we, this dude don't even know who his daddy is. We know Squeaky. I told you about this girl went to her college graduation. This is a girl, one of the girls that Kenita was a choir director back in Niagara Falls. We didn't have a single, in, in, 11 years, not one person had joined the church, not a single baptism. There was two people in the church that were under the age of 10, just two. And then by the time the Lord finished, there were about 48 kids. He led a choir, 48 kids. I mean, right out of the hood. One of the elders said to me one time that the park was full with kids, filled with kids. And we had vacation Bible school. I said, look at all these kids. He said, they aren't our children. He got an empty church. And you're saying that the kids from the neighborhood aren't our children. Well, whose children are they? And so sometimes people will use your past. Instead of your past being the blessing of God, isn't God good? By grace, Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst. He said, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I should have been destroyed. That our Sometimes we forget where we came from. Amen. God didn't save us because we were so good. He didn't see the best in you. He saw the worst in you. That song drives me crazy. He said, no, he didn't. We were wretched sinners undone. But he looked beyond my faults. He looked beyond my degradation. He looked beyond my sin. And he saw my need. When people know your past, they can use it as an excuse to reject you. In their minds, you can never be more than what you were. Unfortunately, that person that will never let you be more than what you were is sometimes you. You got a million dollar job, but you think like a five dollar chitlin brain. You still think you're in the hood somewhere. Let's run on. People will reject you because of your present. He said, isn't this a carpenter? He up here, PhDs and master degrees, summa cum laude's, magna cum laude's cum lardies and some lordy lordies. So here we are, and this guy standing in front of us trying to teach us. Isn't he a car? Some people will reject you because of your profession. We don't call people trash collectors. We call them sanitation workers. I don't even know what the new name is. They even have a special name for dishwashers. I used to be a dishwasher. I, was a I tell my wife that all the time. This is why we should do it the way I say we should do it. I was a professional dishwasher. You don't wash pots with dishes. You don't wash pots with dishes. Somebody say amen if I'm right about it. I was a professional dishwasher. 
They rejected Jesus because of his profession. They rejected him because of his plainness. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3, before 800 years before Jesus ever took on human flesh in the incarnation, the Bible says, in God's eyes, he was like a tender green shoot sprouting from a root of, uh, 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 in a dry and sterile ground. But in our eyes, there was no attractiveness at all. Nothing to make us want him. He was, we, we despised and rejected him. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief and bitterness. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we didn't care. Sometimes we, if you don't have the flash and the fling, the bling and all that, people just minimize. Uh, and I've, I've learned this. If you don't charge people, they, 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 they value what they pay for. Parents understand this. You've been teaching the same principles and lessons to your kids for 20 years. Oh, you don't know. That's old school. That might have worked when you were young. I don't understand why you're trying to hold us back and, you know, hold us down and try to brainwash us. And we got to learn from experience. And then 20 years later, they come back and they say the same thing to you that you told them. But they got it when somebody else said the same thing. But they had to pay for it to get it. <laughs> And so sometimes, you know, somebody said that, hey, what's the word, uh, um, a communist breeds content? What's that, what's that expression? Yeah, 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 thank you, everybody. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, we'll come back to that. So they rejected him because he was too plain. He had no flash, no fling, no bling about him. And the Lord, the scripture predicted that they were rejecting for that. People rejected him because of his presumption. He actually believed that he could teach them. He actually believed that they needed what he had to offer. He actually, this is the second time Jesus came to Nazareth, and both times they, re, they denied him. The first time he opened up the book and he says, the prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he said, isn't this Mary's baby? And then he came back for more because he, he, he was following God's plan. When you actually believe that you studied your lesson and you prepared it and you heard from God and you know that this is from the Lord, you think you got something to offer. And sometimes that person that God is going to use will be much younger than you. They won't be the same gender as you. Amen? Sometimes God speaks through, a, a, the Bible says, a little child, so leave them. And so he presumed. And here's another reason why they reject. We're almost done. He said, people rejected Jesus because of his personal awareness of who he was. When people aren't allowed to define who you are based on what they think about you, they will label you as proud and misguided. We don't understand spiritual confidence. Jesus said, a prophet is without honor. You may not accept me as a prophet, but that doesn't make me less than a prophet. He knew who he was. He washed his disciples' feet. 
But he says, I'm going back to my father. He never stopped being the son. He never stopped being he who existed in the form of God, did not regard becoming equal with God, something that he needed to obtain. He was God. He never stopped being God. Even though he took on human form, Jesus was keenly aware. When you know who you are, and you don't need people to define you to feel good about you, Get prepared for rejection. How dare you talk about, I remember asking a lady, what is your spiritual gift? She said, I don't have any. I said, well, that's not what the Bible says. It's not being prideful when you know what your gifts are. It's being ignorant and ungrateful when you can't know what they, when you don't know what they are and you don't give God the credit. I'm not saying take the credit for your gifts, but I am saying that you ought to know what they are. People rejected Jesus because of his personal awareness of who he was. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 9, he said, the Bible says, Christ gave his disciples authority and, a pow and power over sickness and demons, over the physical realm and the spiritual realm. As a, as a disciple of Christ, you have that kind of authority as a believer because the spirit of God, Jesus said, greater works than these shall who do? You shall do. Than the ones that I've done. Jesus said that to his followers. But he says, I'm giving you this authority. I'm giving you these gifts. I'm giving you these abilities. I'm opening up doors for you to complete the assignment. But you need to understand, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. You are going to be attacked. You are going to be rejected. But he says, here's the strategy. Be as wise as a serpent but as harmless as a dove. Stay with me. Here's the last thing. People will reject you because they can't understand the power and the presence of God in your life. It says, and many of them hearing him were astonished. Where did he get these things? How does he have such wisdom? And how do these mighty works? When people don't understand, what we don't understand, we try to control. That's why we want to know every aspect of what's going to happen, every aspect of the agenda, because if we don't, then something could happen that we're not in control of. How many of you know God doesn't want us to be in control? Hey, oh, kind of weak out there. I know you thought you could control your husband. You should know by now you can't. You can't control your wife. And so when people don't understand, what they try to control it. And one of the ways that they can control it is by rejecting you. They couldn't understand how in the world this guy didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to no Bible college. He didn't even finish. As far as we know, he just went right into his carpentry business. And here he is standing flat-footed with authority. He, he don't sound like the rabbis. He don't sound like the priests. When he talks, demons tremble. When he talks, the sea gets quiet. When he talks, people who were dead get up. How do we don't understand this? We ain't denying that it happened, but it can't be because... All they saw, they didn't see a Messiah, they saw a man. I want you to be, you can be married to somebody. Know every pimple on their leg. But when they are under the control of the Spirit of God working in their assignment, it's no longer them. 
It, this is, I, I, I love my wife, but she's a member of this church. She's a member of this flock. I'm her pastor when I'm operating in my gift, but I'm also her husband. Sometimes we don't separate that. We can't see past the man or the woman when they are now, they're, they're, in, they're somewhere else. They're not even here no more. And then they, when they finally come back, it's like, whoa. Because that is how the Spirit of God will work. They'll start praying for people when they get healed. You say, we didn't talk about that before you got there. The Lord didn't tell me that until we got here. The thing is that sometimes the Lord will tell you something, but you're so afraid that somebody's not going to accept it or look at you, right? You don't do it. And then people stay in their sin. They stay in their sickness. Let me run on. What makes rejection so deadly? The source. It was, he went back to his hometown. Sometimes the source is the people that you sleep with every night. It could be your husband, your wife, your children that are the source of the reject. The greatest rejection comes from the people that matter to us most. If they didn't matter to us, it wouldn't matter. Jesus knew his rejectors and they thought they knew him. When people that matter to you uh, treat you like you don't matter, it hurts. It hurts. Joseph was rejected by his own brothers. They hated him. Can you imagine your own blood relatives hating you? They beat him. They stripped him of his clothes. They threw him into a pit. And they said, I ain't going to get some money out of this. They sold him into slavery. He ends up in prison for a rape that he never committed. Then spent seven years in prison, 15 years away from his family. The people that he, he interpreted, all this rejection. And then he was later said, what you intended for evil. Yeah. Amen, amen. Yeah. Rejection is hard because of the source. It's hard because it attacks your, your self-worth. They didn't reject the, the work that Jesus did. People let you sing. We just have people, I've said this and the elders have said it too. We, we don't care about your gifts. We care about you. We would rather you not serve in the church until you get your personal matters together. Some churches don't care how you live, what you're doing, as long as you're coming to church and giving your tithes and acting like you're happy and not trying to mess up nothing. They don't care. They accepted Jesus' gift. How can he teach like this? Where does he get this wisdom? And how are these mighty works work through it? They acknowledged that, but they rejected him. That's the carpenter. That's an illegitimate guy. So rejection hurts because it's not rejecting what you do. It's rejected. It rejects who you are. It hurts. They rejected Jesus. Rejection can distract you from what? From focusing on Christ. I'm so glad. That's the trick of the devil. If you start caring about what people say more than the Lord, the, the devil has accomplished his objective. And that's the goal. Jeremiah said, look, I'm preaching all this, this, these sermons, and everything is destruction and, and, and judgment and punishment and pestilence. Every email I get, Lord, every text you send from and I'm just saying, when these people are, they throwing tomatoes at me. I haven't had a single convert in all the 30 years of my, 40 years of my ministry. Not one person came forward to receive the Lord. I've been thrown into prison, left for starving and so forth. He said, you know what? I'm out. All this rejection. And he said, when I tried your word, 
your word was like fire shut up in my bones. What the enemy is trying to do when you are being rejected is to discourage you and to keep you from serving the Lord, to cause you to focus on them rather than him. Rejection can cause you to do anything to get acceptance. When, when Esau came in, he found out that his brother Esau had stole his blessing. He said, Lord, he cried. He got on, Dad, would you bless me with any kind of blessing? I'll do anything for a blessing. And his father said, I've already given that blessing away. When you have been rejected by people that are significant in your life, what happens is you will do anything to feel accepted, to feel valued, to feel worthy. That's why women will sell their bodies. That's why men will join gangs and they, they, will, they will tattoo and peer. We're trying to fit in. You know, so why did you get there? Oh, I'm just trying. No, why did you do it? Nobody, before anybody was doing it, you didn't do it. I'm not saying everybody that does it is following the crowd. But my point is, we want to be accepted. And so when we, when we are rejected, we'll do anything, anything. We'll pop pills to feel better. We'll change jobs. We'll change friendships. We'll change our, we're trying to be accepted. Let me finish with this. How should you handle when people don't get you, when they just don't get you? You're trying chocolate even though you only like vanilla, but you're trying it. First of all, you need to know who you are in Christ. Rejection does not determine your value. They didn't make Jesus any less than who he was. Who defines who you are? What messages are you giving to yourself, especially as you grow younger like some of us? Know what you can do. The Bible says that he did not many miracles. I used to translate that. The, the actual translation is not that he could not do, but he chose not to do many miracles. Jesus says in other places, don't cast your pearls among swine. There's some people that are just never going to get you, and you can waste your time until you turn blue in the face, or you can determine that, there's some, that swine never will understand pearls. Now, that's a crude example, but there's some people who just will never understand that you are Steve Jobs. You may be rough on the outside. Stay with me. Stay with me. Refuse to try to impress people. Jesus refused to try to convince people of his, who he was. No, no, you, you're, you have an audience of one to please. Recognize that rejectors are, are, are the problem. Jesus said, the Bible says, the problem was their unbelief. It wasn't him. Sometimes it's you, but in this case, it wasn't Jesus, it was them. So you need to understand that the reason why you're getting this, this pushback it wasn't because you, you didn't have your deodorant on right. It's them trying to conform you to what their expectations are. Refuse to be the victim. Jesus just, instead of us saying, why? Why me? I can't understand it. You should be asking, what's next? Jesus went to the next cities. Not just said, he just kept rolling. <laughs> if they didn't accept me there, it must be somewhere else God wanted me to serve. Stop giving people greater authority in your life than God has. Somebody say amen. 
Sometimes God will break our hearts to blow our minds. Stand with me. David was working in the field, taking care of sheep. The prophet Samuel had invited all of Jesse's sons because God said he was going to anoint a new king to take the place of Saul, who now God had rejected. Jesse had eight sons. Seven of the eight were invited. One of the sons, who is believed to have had red hair, I don't know why he had red hair. It's rare to see a Hebrew, a Jewish person with red hair. But for whatever reason, David was not invited to be one of those who would pass by the prophet. David was rejected by his father, Jesse. Sometimes if you are someone else's child raised in the house where that lady or that man didn't father you, you can be treated like the red-headed stepkid. But David was rejected by his father. When Goliath was saying all of those blasphemous things about the nation of Israel, and David's father told him, all right, go serve your brother some lunch. When he gets there, after God anoints David, because God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What man rejects, God accepts. His brothers ridiculed him. He was rejected by his brothers. He kills Goliath after he tells Saul, the king, I've slain lions and bears. <laughs> then he ends up working for King Saul, just minding his own business. And the sisters decide they're going to they're gonna make a rap out of David's conquest. He said, Saul has slain a thousand, and David has slain ten thousand. Saul is, and, and so Saul hears this. And King Saul says, the next thing the boy going to want is my kingdom. And so from that day on, the Bible says that King Saul, who David was employed, he went from the pit to the palace, but every time David was not paying attention, Saul was trying to get a homicide. So David ended up having to flee. and He was anointed, but he's living in caves. He's running for, for his life. And finally, David ends up in the throne room, in the throne, on, on the throne. And he gets to usher in the Ark of the Covenant into the house of God in Jerusalem. And he begins to praise the Lord and celebrate. And everybody's happy and, and excited. And then David gets home and his wife said, you acted like a fool today. I'm embarrassed by you. Here you are going to church and you shouting and raising your hand and talking about how good God is and taking your jacket off. And, and I just don't understand it. And then David said, you don't understand. God took me out of the sheep pit, put me in the palace. What once was your father's is now mine. See, God will break your heart to blow your mind. And when he blows your mind, you don't have any problem. You don't care what people think. You don't care what they say because you know the goodness of the Lord in your life. That's what a testimony is. What has God done for you that you can share with me about how you were broken? But God took your brokenness.
and now he has blown your mind and you have reason to celebrate. Praise the Lord, church.